you know, one of the keys to kind of praying with the gospel well is to discover or perhaps rediscover the newness of the thing, right? To, to remember that the gospel is wholly original. It's wholly original. It's completely fresh. It's completely new. And the key in a certain sense to kind of rediscovering this particular aspect or character or feature of the gospel is to kind of read it with new eyes, to read the story as if you haven't read the story at all, and to allow yourself to be blown away by the freshness and, again, originality of the gospel text. So to illustrate the point, think about this really famous story that you find in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, which takes place in the aftermath of the Annunciation, right? So uh, Mary obviously has received the invitation and corresponds to the call to become the mother of God, and she goes on to tell her husband Joseph. And so as a result, Joseph, understandably, is in a bit of a conundrum, right? And so on the one hand, the Mosaic law allows him to stone people like Mary to death for being basically unwed mothers. On the other hand, he's a righteous man, as we hear in the gospel. And on top of that, he, he loves Mary, right? And so instead of having her stoned, what he decides to do is send her away quietly. And then, of course, he, he goes to bed. And then, of course, as we all know, while he's still asleep, while he's still dreaming, an angel appears to him and says to him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child conceived in her is indeed from the Holy Spirit. You will name him Jesus, and he will save people from their sins. And so he wakes up, and he agrees to take Mary as his wife. Now, obviously, most of you, if not all of you, are, are really familiar with that particular story. But just to go back to our original point, right? The whole idea is to listen to that story or receive that story with fresh ears and fresh eyes and to ask yourself the question, how is it you might have expected the thing to play out if you didn't know how the story actually played out? And so with that, I invite you to kind of put yourself in Mary's shoes and ask yourself the question, like, what would you do in that situation if, you know, Joseph didn't believe you, didn't believe the child in you was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and then decided to kind of go off and kind of process things alone for a while? Well, I would suggest that for a lot of us, we would panic, if not completely freak out, right? For, for a couple of reasons. First of all, because of a legitimate concern for our own welfare, right? How are we supposed to get on in the world without someone protecting us like a St. Joseph? But at the same time, because of our legitimate concern for the salvation of the world, right? Again, if Joseph is not uh, consenting to be you know, Mary's husband and protector in the midst of the big bad world, how is, how is Mary supposed to be a great conduit in terms of facilitating the salvation of the world by being the mother of God? And yet what's interesting, and again, this kind of goes to the great originality and novelty of the gospel text, is that Mary doesn't panic, Mary doesn't freak out, but instead she allows Joseph to go out by himself to process things in the silence of his heart. And my suggest, friends, that the reason why Mary does this is not because she's not worried, it's not because she's not concerned about the situation at hand, it's not because she doesn't recognize the gravity of the situation, but rather because she has deep trust in God and his providential designs. In other words, she has complete confidence that after having done everything she's supposed to do, corresponding to the duty of the moment, giving witness to the situation in the appropriate way, everything else in a certain sense is beyond her pay grade. And so she defers completely to God's providential designs and his fatherly care. Now, what's interesting is that this particular dynamic involving Mary and Joseph you find it defined in a certain sense in the context of modern psychology, particularly in the context of this principle called the fundamental attribution error. And so the whole idea behind this particular principle is that many times we make the error or the mistake of thinking that things happen or don't happen in the world, particularly in the context of relationships because of things that we've done or things that we've failed to do. 
And so, for example, a lot of times when we find ourselves in a conversation which is not going well, we automatically presume that, again, the reason why it's not going well is because of something that I'm doing or not doing wrong, without accounting for a whole variety of different factors which might be unduly affecting the conversation. And so, for example, perhaps the other person is wrestling with past hurts, past woundedness, fatigue. Perhaps the other person is simply having a bad day, and, and those are the various factors which are unduly affecting the conversation as opposed to something, again, that you're doing or not doing. But again, in this, you see in a certain sense the same principle that's being articulated in today's gospel, namely this notion that some things, many things, are just completely beyond our control. And so therefore, we're called and indeed commanded to simply focus on the few things that the Lord wants us to do carefully and well and leave the rest to Him. To further illustrate the point, think about the example of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? And so in the context of, of that particular trilogy, we're meant to identify in a certain sense with Frodo and Sam, right? So what's our daily experience of life? We're walking, you know, step by step on barefoot, if you will, with the ring of power close to our, our hearts, right? So evil is very close. And it seems to be, based on our immediate subjective experience, that we're completely alone. Whereas in reality, if you just take a moment to kind of take a step back and look at the entirety of the trilogy, you realize that's not the case at all. And so, for example, there's Aragorn, there's Gandalf, there's the dwarves, there's the elves, and all these people are fighting mightily for Frodo and Sam, laying down their lives to propel them to victory and salvation. And of course, the great beauty of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which itself is an extended metaphor of the Catholic thing, is that it's actually true. And so again, even though our subjective experience might tell us that we're all alone in this battle against evil, in reality, there's the angels, there's the saints, there's God himself. All these different spiritual realities which are, again, propelling us to victory, willing us to succeed. And you see, that's why throughout the course of the Bible, whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New, whenever the people of God individually or collectively are panicking or freaking out, the Lord says to them, either directly or through a messenger, some variation of, be still and know that I am God. And so, for example, think about that really famous story in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus is asleep in a boat in the midst of that storm, along with the other disciples. And of course, as you might recall, even after they wake Jesus Christ up, the storm is still going on. And yet, despite this ongoing state of confusion and chaos and concern, the Lord is not panicked, but instead He rebukes them. Ye of little faith, why are you afraid? Again, while the storm is still going on. Or think about that really famous story in the book of Exodus chapter 14. And so as a matter of background, the Israelite people, they've just been delivered from slavery in Egypt, but now they find themselves at a bit of an impasse, right? So they find themselves being blocked by the Red Sea with the Egyptian army in hot pursuit. And as a result, they turn to the Lord God for guidance and direction. And then the Lord speaks to them through the prophet Moses. And what he says is, be still and know that I am God. And so again, be still and know that I am God. And, you know, the thing I want to impress upon you is that in both these different situations, we find a certain kind of common denominator, if you will. This takeaway message that whenever we find ourselves in difficult situations where we can only do so much, but our meager efforts are not enough to deal with the task at hand, we are invited and indeed commanded to not panic, but instead to rest in the truth. And the truth is that you're not alone. God is real, God is one, and God is your Father. And even though, again, there might be many situations where you feel completely helpless before the task at hand, it's okay because even in those painful and difficult situations, Jesus Christ remains the Lord our God. Okay, one final example, and we'll kind of end with this. And so I remember many years ago, back in the day, talking to a really good friend of mine 
who had fallen away from the Christian faith because of various sustained traumas that she had sustained back in her childhood. And around that time, I, I wasn't a priest, I wasn't a seminarian, and quite frankly, I didn't know my faith all that well, and so therefore, my apologetics game wasn't all that strong. And so for the longest time, I remember trying really pathetically to try to win my friend back to the faith using my really poor apologetics background without realizing for the longest time that the battle wasn't to be won on the level of reason or argument because it ran a lot deeper than that. Because basically my friend was struggling with this recurring problem that we all face from time to time. Do I trust the lies which seem to be suggested by my pain, or do I trust the truth revealed to me through God's revelation? So anyways, just to kind of fast forward, we lost touch over a period of time before finally reconnecting, and then I heard her story about how she eventually returned to the Christian faith. And so basically what had happened was that she had found herself in the midst of this unplanned pregnancy, and she was contemplating getting an abortion. But then she was talking to her Christian friends who were begging and pleading with her not to get an abortion. Now at this point, her boyfriend had basically abandoned her, and so she didn't really know what to do. And so she prayed to God for the first time in a long time, for the first time in years, basically surrendering to his providential design, saying to him some variation of like, Lord, here's my situation. I just don't know what to do. Can you help me? But then what happened is that in the aftermath of that really brief, short, but heartfelt prayer, she had a miscarriage. And that's the thing that actually brought her back to the Christian faith. And, you know, funny enough, I remember hearing that story and thinking to myself, you know, gosh, I, I never would have thought that would have been a thing to bring my friend back to the Lord. And yet, obviously, it spoke to the fact that the Lord knew my friend's heart and knew the situation far better than I could. And I got to tell you, friends, that in the aftermath of that particular experience, I learned a lot about life and about God's providential designs. Because the whole point is that when we find ourselves in situations which are completely beyond our control, we are invited to surrender. And to realize we're not surrendering to nothingness, we're not surrendering to the abyss, but instead we're surrendering to God, we're surrendering to his fatherhood, we're surrendering to love. And may God bless you all.